welcome listeners to Snippet Sports Science Podcast. Today we're doing part 4 of the review on hypoxia and resistance exercise, a comparison of localized and systemic methods. Previously we've looked primarily at blood flow restriction training, and now we're going to be moving on to intermittent hypoxia resistance training. I'm here today with Chris Cavillio. How are you doing, Chris? Good, thanks. Chad, and how's yourself? Pretty well. So we'll just start with adaptive and perceptual responses to the intermittent hypoxia resistance training. What's typically seen is that there's an increase in cross-sectional area, so an increase in muscle mass, when the training is greater than four weeks. So you need to be training in the hypoxic environment for at least four weeks to get the increase in cross-sectional area. What's also seen is that there typically needs to be an interset recovery period of 30 seconds of rest or less. So our beliefs behind that are that there, if you rest for greater than 30 seconds in the interset recovery, the muscle has time to re-oxygenate and you're not actually deoxygenating the muscle in the hypoxic environment. So you don't actually become deoxygenated. For example, always nice to highlight some studies here. One with female netball athletes showed that the using hypoxic training elicited greater increases in combined cross-sectional area, the knee extensors and the flexor muscles, then obviously tri- training in normoxia. So here they had a 6.1% increase in cross-sectional area versus 2.9. What's also really nice to highlight here is that another study by Friedman showed that four weeks of low intensity at 30% 1RM, so it was actually 10% more increase in 1RM of knee extension exercise, showed that it didn't induce significant gains in muscle or fiber cross-sectional area. Moving into increases in muscle strength, we see that the greatest response is actually muscular endurance, although there are also increases in strength, agility, and speed. And we sort of imagine the increases in the agility are probably on the back of those increases in speed rather than making someone more agile per se. Exactly right. So increases in strength, such as three seconds of maximal velocity contraction and muscular endurance, uh, 30 seconds of uh, max velocity contractions, and, and number of repetitions to failure at 20% of 1RM, have been shown to be improved following five weeks of training in a hypoxic group than a normoxic control group. And again, these responses are likely to depend on the dose of the hypoxic resistance train that's occurring. If the train is not intense enough, then you're not likely to get the additional benefits in the hypoxic environment. As well, it's been observed that the blood flow restriction training may have greater responses in terms of the muscular strength outcomes than the intermittent hypoxia resistance training. Now talking about the perceptual responses to the intermittent hypoxic resistance training, there's typically observed to be no difference in the rating of perceived exertion born fatigue, which is quite surprising. However, there is an increase in pain, which may be on the back of an increase in hydrogen ion at acid, causing a bit of the burn pain sensation. So the increased pain reported was associated with additional metabolic stress. So therefore, the greater hypertrophy and the strength improvements would also be expected from the intermittent hypoxic resistance training compared to a BFR group, possibly. One study that I keep referencing to is, I'll have a go at this one, many manacorn et al. This was a study where they used female netballers and the interventions were systemic hypoxia, BFR. And the control group as well. This is really good because we're actually starting to see the difference between localized versus systemic hypoxia. And what they were actually reporting was that the increased pain was associated with the additional metabolic stress. So therefore, that the greater hypertrophy and the strength improvements would be expected from the intermittent hypoxic resistance training compared with the BFR group. So it's therefore difficult to explain the mechanisms causing the difference in pain between the training conditions based on these understandings. 
So the next concept that we want to start talking about is the potential mechanisms of intermittent hypoxic resistance training for hypertrophy and strength. First concept here is around the concentration of metabolites. The accumulation of metabolites is suggested to mediate, at least in part, many of the mechanisms that affect muscle hypertrophy, similar to what we saw in BFR. And the main metabolite we're looking at here again is lactate, which we see a 1.2-fold greater increase in lactate during hypoxic training than in normoxic training. This is all in agreement with BFR research. It appears that lactate accumulation is augmented following intermittent hypoxic resistance training. Similarly, looking at hormonal responses, we see a significant increase in growth hormone, just like blood flow restriction training, a non-significant increase in IGF-1, a significant increase in testosterone, and on the back of differences in intensity, as we've previously talked about with the dose affecting the response, we see a increase in epinephrine, a 1.5-fold increase in epinephrine, a 1.2 times increase in norepinephrine, and a 1.5 times increase in cortisol, although the increases in norepinephrine and cortisol are likely to be on the back of greater intensity. So those responses are only seen when there's sufficient intensity to elicit that response. So therefore, the catecholamine and the cortisol responses typically reflect the acute demands of exercise. And as Jared just said, then it depends upon the force of the muscle contractions. Once again, coming back to the type of the session, the intensity that, that the athlete is actually exposed to. Next, we'll look at intramuscular signaling pathways. The main observation that we see here is that in studies where they used a long-duration exposure to hypoxia, muscle protein synthesis was actually suppressed. And I would believe that to be on the back that if you apply hypoxia for three, four hours, you're applying much more of an aerobic stimulus rather than an anabolic resistance training type of stimulus. There are also increases in hypoxia-inducible factor 1-alpha, which in turn increases vascular endothelial growth factor. From vascular endothelial growth factor, we'll see an increase in angiogenesis, the building of blood vessels, as well as bone remodeling and repair. The review actually talks about a novel factor which might contribute to the intracellular signaling, whether hyperbaric or normobaric hypoxia is employed during exercise. So research indicates that hyperbaric hypoxia causes a decrease in plasma nitric oxide concentration, whereas normobaric hypoxia does not. Nitric oxide is a potent reactive species and has been proposed to mediate the activation of skeletal muscle satellite cells and subsequent hypertrophy. It's therefore possible that the type of hypoxia employed during intermittent hypoxic resistance training may influence the subsequent physiological response. But again, they come in with no research has been yet compared the responses to resistance training under both these different types of conditions at the one time. Finally, they look at the autophagy lysosomal pathway, which contributes largely to catabolic processes in atrophying muscle. While the signaling pathways by which autophagic processes occur in skeletal muscle are complex, it appears that mTOR complex 1 can promote both protein synthesis and autophagy. However, as I previously mentioned, these mechanisms have not been explored in hypoxic versus normoxic resistance. Thanks, Jared, for that. That was actually quite a deep section of potential mechanisms. I think what it really highlights is that there's a lot of potential mechanisms that I think that may work. But once again, further research is always required. Probably something if you really want to delve back into this area, get the paper out. We've got the link on the website and probably have a really good read of this because that is quite heavy going. Thank you, Chris.
That's where we'll leave today's episode, listeners. Thanks for joining in. If you want any more information, please go to our website at snippetscience.com. And next week, we're going to conclude this paper by looking at the comparisons between systemic and localized hypoxia. So a really good comparison between both of them. Thanks for listening. Leave comments below. There's no comments below on a podcast, is there? Um, There's a way you guys can leave comments. You should definitely leave comments for us on our social media, perhaps. Follow us on Twitter. They've they've already they've already skipped to the end of that. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>